Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Well, good afternoon, church. Merry Christmas to all of you. There we go. Thank you, Ellie. I can pick your voice out of the crowd. It's so great to see everybody here today on this. Man, it was kind of nasty getting here, wasn't it? Like the, I came, um, I came up Clifton and um, I heard some people were trying to come up Ravine and probably a no bueno for those of you who tried to go up Ravine. Uh, It is nasty out there, but, but you made it. We're here and we're here to worship Christ, the newborn King. Um, So I'm glad you're here with us. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor of Christ the King Church, and we're here to celebrate the advent of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Christmas is when we celebrate the doctrine of the incarnation. We may not think of it that way or use those words, but that's what we do at Christmas. We celebrate the doctrine of the incarnation, which is a celebration of where the immortal, invisible, God-only wise became a baby, became a baby boy. And we celebrate this every year. And since we celebrate it annually, it can become overly familiar with us. It'd be pretty easy for this just to become rote and tradition um, and even lose some of the mystery and the wonder of it. The incarnation, though, is a central miracle of the Christian faith. It's this inexplicable occurrence that boggles the mind that God became a man or baby even, before he became a man. So God fully entered into the human experience completely in every way. He entered into the human experience, yet he was without sin. And he did this in order to defeat the great enemies of humanity, sin, death, and Satan. And the only way to defeat those great enemies is, was, or was for God to die. And the only way that it would be possible for God to die would be for God to become human. And so the incarnation that we celebrate at Advent, it was a necessary step to make our redemption possible. The incarnation is what made it possible for God to die. And so today we're going to look at a text from the Old Testament. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. And this text was written... Scholars say about 700 years or so before the time of Christ. And it was written by the prophet Isaiah, which bears his name, the book. This, this book was originally written as a prophecy. And the text that we're going to look at here in a moment was written to give God's people a word of comfort and hope during a time of great distress for them. But God also intended, when it, when it was written, God also intended it to reach far into the future to give a word of comfort and hope to many generations of God's people, particularly the people of the time that Christ was born. So Isaiah 9 gives us this forward glimpse of who the Messiah would be, what he would be like, a snapshot of the future of the incarnate God. So through uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and as you're turning there, I want to bring up a couple of special guests who are going to read the scripture for us. Um, so come on up, my, my special guests, special scripture reading guests. 
And um, they're going to read to us Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 2 through, uh, 2 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And I think this microphone pack conflicts with this microphone. I think it's what happened with, with Alex. I want to turn this off. I think I'm on. Are we on? Shorter than I am. Um, so why don't you all come over here so everybody can see you. Can you come over here? Can, how about you stand right here? Okay. So you're not going to be able to hold the microphone. How about I hold it for you? Is that all right with you, Bubs? Do you all know Bubs? This is Bubs. And this is Esther. Do you all know Esther? So Bubs and Esther are going to read. So Bubs is going to read the first text. I want to hold the microphone for you. And whenever you're ready, take it away. If you feel like preaching, your daddy said you're not allowed to. Um, so maybe in about 30 years or so, but for now you can read the scripture, okay? You ready, bud? The people, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as when they, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for you, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of you up for the shoulder, the rod of his opposer, you have Oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warriors in battle tumult and every um, garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Amen. Thank you, Bubs. Great job. You ready, Esther? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Fantastic. Well, let's dig in. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to key in on verse 6. I want to focus our attention on verse 6. And uh, how's it looking up there for, for me to do this technology? Is we looking like we'll be able to do it? Do we have it? Well, I think there's a, so I've got a button here that I can press. If you, do we see it? It, it? it might take a second for it to turn on. Do you see it on the, on the monitor up there? If so, I can push the button to make sure it's broadcasting. All right, let me, let me push my button here. See if that, there it is. We got it. All right. <laughs> so we're going to look at four titles, 
four titles that are ascribed to the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9. All of these are um, in verse 6. So I want to read verse 6 again. For to us a child is born. We'll get back to this to us in a moment. But a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So it starts here with this phrase, a child is born. So clearly we're talking about a human. We're talking about a human being that's going to be born. A baby boy that is extraordinary, but uh, clearly a human child. And from the time this was written, some 700 years later, the gospel writers saw this text that was written prior in the days of Isaiah as a prophecy of the Messiah, of the one who was to come that would break the yoke of sin from their necks. This was a word of comfort and hope. This child will be born. This new life will come about, and this new life will represent a, a, a massive change. Something wonderful will happen. And so they knew at the time of Christ that this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus Christ was the child who was born that was the fulfillment of these things that were written. So in Luke chapter 2, we see this same language that is, um, we see this, this is the famous text we read it earlier in our liturgy. Luke chapter 2 is, is referencing, it, using kind of a similar language from the prophecy from Isaiah. Where it says, for unto you is born this day, unto you. Before it said, to us a child is born. Now he's saying, unto you a child is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. So the four titles. The four titles. Let's go back to these. Um, wonderful Counselor. We'll start with the Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful literally would mean full of wonder. So often we use the word wonderful to mean something that's really, really good, right? If something is wonderful, we mean, hey, it's exceptional. We like it a lot. But in Scripture, a wonder is often a miracle. A wonder is something supernatural that's happened. And then the word counselor, the Messiah is called a counselor. So he's a wonderful counselor. Now, what does that mean? Well, to be a counselor is doesn't mean a really, really good therapist. A counselor is somebody who gives counsel, somebody who knows what to do. Like if you have a, a military advisor, like I'm, I'm taking counsel with my generals, something like that. So a counselor in this context is somebody who makes wise judgments. They know what to do. And we see this same language used elsewhere in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's the Messiah. The Messiah is that sort of counselor. He knows what to do. He has wisdom. Another example is Isaiah 28 verse 29, which says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel. The Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So we have this child, this boy, and this child is wonderful, 
meaning that he is, he is miraculous, he's full of wonder. He has this otherworldly quality. There's a sense of divinity about him. And he is counselor, meaning that he knows what to do. He's full of wisdom. He has knowledge and understanding. So wonderful counselor. The first is, that, that is uh, the first title. He's full of wonder and he's a counselor. Second title, number two, mighty God. The word mighty, this child will be mighty. So he'll be strong and powerful and his strength will be like no other. And then this is interesting. He will be mighty God. Now we're talking about a human, a human child, a human baby who is called mighty God. So clearly there is this connection between the child that will be born and a sense of divinity. He will be He will be either like God or he will be equal with God. So we see 700 years before the time of Christ, this anticipation that the Messiah would come that would bear these titles. And one of the titles is Mighty God. Mighty God actually is a title for God himself because Yahweh, the proper name of God, he is called Mighty God. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God. So this child will somehow wield this mighty power of God. And he receives this title that is otherwise reserved for God alone. So this title that belongs to God alone is ascribed to a baby. So there can be no doubt that the New Testament writers meant to portray Jesus, this baby, as divine. He is God. He's equal with God. So mighty God, this child, will have the power to fix what was broken, to make wrong things right. That's his second title. Here's a third title. This gets a little more interesting. The third title is Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. The word everlasting doesn't need much of an explanation. It just means forever. Something that never ends. It means he is eternal. He is infinite. He is forever. He is this everlasting being, and yet he's a child. But then he's called father. Now, it's, it isn't possible for a child to be a father. And so for thinking father in the sense of fathering a child, that can't be right. So there's another sense of the word father, and the, the other sense is what is meant here. It's not a reference to him fathering a child, nor is it a reference to God the Father, because then that would be confusing the members of the Trinity. There is the Father and there is the Son. They are both God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Same goes with the Spirit. So he's not saying Jesus Christ is God the Father. That's not, that would be... That would be incorrect. That would be confusing the Trinity. The word father here, it's a reference to uh, kingship because the kings were considered fathers to their people. So a king being a ruler over his nation was a sort of father and the people within that nation would look to their king as a father to them. And that's the sense that is implied here. It's this paternal benevolence that that this child will, will have. So in this text, he is an everlasting father, meaning he's an everlasting king. And he rules over his people as a good king because a good king is like a father, a good father. 
And since it's everlasting, his kingdom shall have no end and his reign shall go on forever and ever and ever. So what we see by this title is that one day this child will ascend a throne and he will rule over his people the way a tender and gracious father would would rule or govern within his own home. And what that means in, in practical terms is that he will be a protector and a provider the way you would expect a father to be. That's the third title. Now the last title, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So you see this repetition of a royalty type of theme, right? A a monarchy. A prince is, is a son of a king. So his rule The good prince, his rule is not independent of his father, but it's in alignment with his father. So now we have the relationship that Jesus has with the heavenly father here. And in his relationship to the heavenly father, he is a prince because he is the son of the father, the prince of peace. So princes are those who are destined to rule. They are destined to be coronated as rulers. So verse 6, it says, "...the government shall be upon his shoulder." Very, without, without a doubt, there, there is a sense that this child was born to govern. He was born to rule, to, to bring a sense of dominion over, over whatever the Father gives to him. Let me read to you the next verse, again, verse 7. Of the increase of his government, this is just the very next verse. The increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. So the same ideas. There's the increase of his government. He is a king. And of peace. He's the prince of peace. There will be no end. He's an everlasting father. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's describing what the dominion, the reign, the kingdom of this child will be like. And it is a government. It is a rule. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to uphold his kingdom. And it will be characterized by justice and by righteousness. Wouldn't you love to have a government that was characterized by justice and righteousness? But that is what this king brings. And that word pair, justice and righteousness, it's all over the Old Testament. And it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the result of his kingdom is peace. He is a prince of peace. Now, you've heard this uh, many times for me, if you've been here before. Um, Peace does not merely mean the absence of conflict. It's like, get these noisy kids out of here so I can have some peace. You know? It's not that kind of peace, which is a negative peace, which is just kind of get hard stuff away so I can have a little bit of calm. That's not the peace that is described in Scripture. The peace here, the Hebrew word is shalom. And, you know, the traditional Jews will greet one another this way even to this day. They'll say shalom. It's a way of saying peace with you. It's a way of extending a blessing, a well-wishing. And so peace in this richer sense is a state of existence where everything is put right and all things are operating in sync. 
Everything is in harmony and everything is in a right relationship with everything else. Everything is moving along with the grain as God intended it to be. So it's a state of tranquility, it's a state of prosperity where there's no crying, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no wrongdoing, there's no crime. Everything is put right. And it will go on forever in that state. So peace as this prince will bring. It's everything as it should be. And as this child grew up and he started preaching, the main theme, the central theme of his preaching is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is none other than the application of shalom everywhere it extends. Because wherever the kingdom of God is manifest and it is in fullness, the result in that domain will be shalom. So when Jesus started preaching about it, shalom, peace, he simply called it the kingdom of God. And that's what this child will do. When the child grows up, he will have a ministry, and he will one day usher in this perfect peace of God that will go on forever and forever and ever and ever and ever, trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years into an eternity that we cannot fathom. This child, this little baby that is born unto us, whatever that means, that's what he will bring. So if you're a Christian, you know the story. You know how this plays out, right? Jesus Christ accomplished all of the things that we're talking about here. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who taught God's people with God's authority And he showed us the way to live. He was wise. He knows what to do. Jesus is mighty God. He is a miracle worker who came in power demonstrating wonders and signs amongst uh, people. Who healed diseases and he cast out demons. Jesus is everlasting father who watches over his people, who rules in such a way that he protects them and he provides for them. He feeds them as a good father feeds his own children. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace who has ushered in this realm of God's perfect shalom manifest on earth. And in his kingdom, it will go on forever. And all of these things were done because he died and he rose again. All these things were made possible because the enemy of our souls needed to be crushed and defeated. They were crushed and defeated through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is only possible for God to do those things if God becomes a human. Because God himself can never die. And so Christ accomplished it. He overcame the power of sin, Satan, and death. So one last thing I'll I'll talk about here. This victory of Christ that he accomplished does not automatically apply to every person. It's not as though through his death, burial, and resurrection, everybody enjoys the fruit and the blessings of his kingship and his reign in their own lives. Not everybody enjoys this peace with God. This is a promise that is given to those who have an explicit faith commitment to him as their Messiah, as their Savior and Lord. 
to Jesus Christ having faith. So the victory of Christ applies specifically to those who confess their sin and their need for forgiveness. Those who believe that Jesus Christ is a satisfaction for that, that we can find forgiveness through faith in him when we confess and repent of our sin. And for those who commit their lives to following Jesus as Lord over all of life. In other words, we enjoy the blessings and the benefits that this Christ child one day accomplished and, and, and uh, fulfilled. We enjoy that when we submit to his rule and authority in every, in every way. And so for those who do not have that sort of faith in Jesus Christ, these blessings do not apply to them. What remains for them is an anticipation of God's righteous and justice being applied to them, which is judgment for their sin. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice and righteousness. And for those who have sinned in their life, which is every human being who's ever lived, for those who are sinful and rebellious against that king, which is everybody who isn't a Christian, they will receive God's righteousness and God's justice, which is the due penalty for their sin. And that means that they will be separated and cast away from God's presence and they will suffer punishment. We call that hell in Christian doctrine. So verse 6 says, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Who is the us? That's my question. Who is the us? The us is not to everyone. The us is to those that God has gathered to himself. Those who have, those who have faith. So it's those who have explicitly committed their lives to obeying Jesus Christ as Lord. So if you are not a Christian, you are not able to say to us, to me, a child is born. Because that child is a stranger to you. That child has not been born to you. He's not been born into your life. That child was born to other people. But it need not be that way. A child could be born unto you as well, and you could be one of those who can claim unto us, unto me, this child was born through faith in Christ. By saying, Lord, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm, I'm, I'm wretched. I've done so many things. I've rebelled against you in so many ways, and I need a Savior. I need redemption and forgiveness. And you cry out to him, and you say, Father, forgive me. And I've, I've, I receive your grace, and he will be gracious to you. And you commit to following, following him with your life, to walk in repentance of faith, that faith commitment. Those that do that, that are Christians, that are here and we follow Jesus, we can say, we can read the liturgy and we can sing and we can raise our hands and we can rejoice knowing that unto us a child is born, unto us a Savior is given, unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we say that, we, we, we can pray that knowing that he is born to us because we are in Christ. We have been reconciled to God, and God's reconciliation is brought to us in the form of this Christ child. And so I invite you, if you're not a Christian, to say, I need you, Jesus, to have explicit faith in Christ. And through faith in Christ, you can confess your sin. 
You can believe that he will forgive you of your sin. And you can commit your life to Christ overall. Christ is Lord of your life. And if you do that, then Christ will be born unto you this day. He will born, be born unto you and he'll be born within you. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, unless you are born again, you cannot see the Father. Christ can be born in you and you can be reborn in Christ. And that's my invitation. My invitation for those of you who are Christians is to celebrate Christ who is born unto us. And uh, my invitation for those of you who, who do not know Christ or if you're unsure, let Christmas of 2022 be the year that unto you Christ is born. Surrender yourself completely to Christ as Lord of your life so he can be in your life. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Our Father, we worship you and we thank you for sending your one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, we thank you that this was made possible because unto us a child was born. And we thank you, Jesus, that by your life and your death and your resurrection, all of these titles are fulfilled in your reign. And we anticipate the day when you return and we will reign with you and you will reign over us forever. Lord, I pray for anyone who is not a Christian or who is not sure or who otherwise needs to surrender their lives completely to you. We ask you, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself in such a way that they can sincerely claim, unto me is born Christ the Lord, and that they will bend a knee in total surrender to Jesus, and that they will, they will know the perfect rule and reign, the shalom of God will be theirs to claim by faith, and they live in hopeful anticipation of one day you ushering in your kingdom in its fullness. And so we celebrate that, we praise you, our Lord, and we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.